Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Am I on, Vincent? Yeah? So good to be with you. Thank you, Aubrey and Dalton. Uh, they were last minute. Chance got sick, and, and uh, they stepped in. So, so appreciative of you. Um, I'm like running on caffeine this morning. Like, we went to the baseball game yesterday, the Royals. It was a terrible game. The center fielder was pitching the last two innings. But then Crowder sang after the game, and he was Crowderlicious as usual. And uh, so my, I feel like I'm still shaking from the noise of the night, and I've got too much caffeine, so I feel like I want to take my shirt off and have a picnic on it right now, so hopefully that won't happen. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that, trust me. So good to be with you. Thank you guys from Wichita, you guys who are here. I'm looking forward to enjoying a little bit of life in the kingdom with you guys. And those of you all who are in our family, so many of us are vacating in and out, but uh, get to know these young men and women if you have the opportunity. Um, I want to start with an old story this morning. I'm going to read it uh, to you. I normally don't like reading from a book, but it's short, and I think it'll be, maybe it'll slow me down a little bit, and I think it'll be better that way, and I just lost it, but I'm going to find it. It's a simple story. One day, a man walked in to an antique shop, and he asked permission to look around. It was an exclusive shop, frequented only by those who could afford to purchase articles made rare by their scarcity and age. The visitor seemed strangely out of place because he was poorly dressed. Though clean, it was clear from his appearance that he was a laborer whose face had been etched by sun and rain and whose hands were rough and worn. After more than a half hour, he left. In ten days, he returned. This time, he found a very beautiful piece of glass and asked if he could make a deposit on it. Each week, he returned and made a payment until at last the article was his. With much curiosity, the owner of the shop engaged him in conversation to determine if he could the use to which such a man would put to this new purchase. Listen to what he said. I bought it for my room. It isn't much, but I bring to it from time to time through the years only the very best and beautiful things. You see... That is where I live. 
that story reminded me of Sundays and the gift that Sundays can be to us. This experience and this day is a time where we can reorient and reset our lives with only the best and the beautiful things. And we need that because our lives get filled, our ordinary days, our weeks with things that are common and they're good. But we need to reset towards what is best and beautiful. What's most important? What's primary? What are the first things? What's eternal? We need that. You need that because you are eternal. You're an eternal being with an eternal destiny. And you have the opportunity for that destiny to be found in God's great, great kingdom. So today our message comes from the teaching of Jesus, and it's a message about what is primary, what is first. It's couched in the Gospel of John, which we've been in for a while and going to be in for a while. Emily's going to come up and read our text today in just a moment. I want to give a little bit of context for it first. So Jesus has healed a man on Sunday, on the Sabbath, actually Saturday probably in their time. He's a man that had been disabled for 38 years. And Jesus told this man, take up this mat you're laying on and walk. Well, being a Sabbath, that was problematic for the religious leaders that were watching this. Because that constituted work in their mind and you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. And they had all these rules about this kind of thing that was oppressive to people. But it's how they defined their religion. It, was, it had become a code of behavior. What you do. Methods. So John tells us in chapter 5 verse 16 because Jesus was doing this on the Sabbath the leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said, My father is always at his work. To this very day, and I too am working. And then John tells us, For this reason the leaders tried all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was calling him, he was even calling God his father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus begins dialoguing with them, and he pauses at one point and he says, I can't do anything by myself. I only judge as I hear, and my judgment, it's just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So that's our context. Jesus is in conversation with these religious leaders. It's in the fifth chapter of John. So that leads us to verse 31, where we're picking up today. Emily, would you come and read for us. There's, she's going to read a fairly lengthy, it's not real long, but a little lengthy. So lean in. It'll be on the uh, slides as well for us. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not truthful. Another is bearing witness on my behalf, and I know that the testimony he gives on my behalf is truthful. 
You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. I do not receive testimony from a man, but I mention this so that you might be saved. He, meaning John, was a lamp burning and shining, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. But I have a testimony greater than that of John. For the works the Father has given me to complete, these works I am doing bear witness on my behalf that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has testified about me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his appearance, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For the one he has sent, you do not believe in him. You examine the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. They testify about me, and you are not willing to come to me so that you might have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I have known you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you have not received me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How are you able to believe since you receive glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God? Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, in whom you have placed your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe in me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe in what I say? Thank you, Emily. Testify, that's the operative word today. Sometimes we use the phrase bear witness. It's an important word, it's an important word in scripture. The original language, it's pronounced marchereo. Marchereo, it's, it's the word we get our word kind of surprisingly martyr from. One who bears witness, one who testifies. It's all over the Gospels of Jesus. It's especially an important word to John. It's splattered all over this chapter. He uses it over and over. Testify. Give witness. Cindy and I love detective shows, uh, especially good ones. <laughs> uh, we like Endeavor. Anybody watch Endeavor? No? Gosh, you should check that one. Okay, we've got one. Somebody bearing witness back there. I see that, man. We like Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Oh, that's a good one. Highly recommended. And we even like Monk. If you've watched Monk, we find it pretty delightful. All of these detectives on these shows, they know how important credible witnesses are to their work, to what they're trying to accomplish. Testify, to tell of what you've seen. That's what a witness does. To, to tell what you've heard or experienced or have come to know. That's an expert witness. It's an important word for this gospel writer, John. He wants us to hear credible witness. It was important to Jesus as well. 
So about three decades later, John writes a letter to a group of churches that he had been part of, and it really brings out, three decades later, he's still using this word. He says this is in 1 John chapter 1. He says, that was, which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which our eyes have looked at, what our hands have touched, what we've experienced, this is what we proclaim to you. What has been real for us, we're now bearing witness to its reality. John and Jesus knew that bearing witness was mission critical. So today we're going to hear Jesus talk about it. Specifically, we're going to hear him identify the credible sources of bearing witness to him. It's not an exhaustive list. You'll find others even in John's letter. But we're going to hear him identify six. He begins a bit oddly. He says, if I bear witness to myself, if I testify to myself, that's not truthful. Now Jesus isn't saying he's not a credible witness to himself. I think he's saying self-promotion is not a credible way. I don't need to promote myself. And I think, side note here, I think Jesus is modeling something important for us here. Even though Jesus was God who became man, he doesn't resort to self-promotion. He was living, you see, in the care of a father who knew very well how to defend him, who knew very well how to have his back, how to exercise care for him. So he didn't have to resort to self-promotion. He was living in the care of the kingdom of God. It was a safe place for him, even though there were dangers lurking for him everywhere. It was a safe place for him. And I think there's a little something perhaps there for us as well. Whether as individuals or as a community, we don't have to self-promote because we live in the kingdom of a father. Isn't that good news? We live in a safe place called God's kingdom. Credible sources of testimony. That's what Jesus is revealing here. Today, we're going to hear Jesus talk about them. Each of these are going to be weighty. And we're going to see Jesus assert behind these six sources, these credible witnesses, is God himself. He says that, I think it's in verse 32, there's another who testifies on my behalf. So let's look at them together. Jesus starts, really starts and ends with two men. He starts with John the Baptist. He says to these leaders, you've sent to John. He had, they did. They, they went and grabbed this man, this kind of prophetic voice, and said, who is this Jesus that's doing these works? So they sent to him. You'll see it in chapter 1 of John. You'll see it in chapter 3 of John. Jesus says, you've sent to John, and he's testified to the truth. So here's our first source of testimony, what John has testified to. And they ask him, John, are you the Messiah? And John goes, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. I'm just one here 
to pave the way for him. I'm here to prepare a road for him. John was just a prophetic voice crying out in the wilderness. He was a strange fellow. And then one day he saw Jesus and he pointed and he said, look, there he is. That's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He said, me? I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. I'm not the Messiah. He said about Christ, he surpassed me because he was before me. He said, I'm baptizing with water, but there's one coming after me. He's going to baptize you in the presence of God. He's going to baptize you with His Holy Spirit. This, he said, is God's chosen one. Once his followers were getting a little bit concerned because John's tribe was shrinking. They were going to Jesus' tribe. That's how they saw it. His followers. And John said, this is what this is designed for. He must increase. I must decrease, he said. John's entire life pointed to Jesus. And that's the question I think the Spirit has for us today. How is our lives pointing to Jesus? How is your life as an individual pointing to Jesus? Is it? What's that look like? How is... We as a community, how are we pointing to Jesus? With our words, our lives, the rhythms in which we're living, the practices we're engaging, the spirit in which we're living, the ways we're following, that the heart and the attitude by which we're doing. See, it's not just what we're doing, it's the manner in which we're doing them. How are we pointing to Jesus? So that's our first credible witness is John, but Jesus goes on to say, but I have testimony greater than John. And he says, for the works the Father has given me to complete, these things I'm doing, they also bear witness on my behalf that the Father has sent me. There's credible source number two. John likes to call them signs because they point. Jesus, Jesus uses the word, these works of mine, the things that I am doing. Whether we call them miracles or signs or works, it doesn't matter. It's clear that Jesus understood. Like when we see him like healing this man who's been an invalid for so long. And this is an act of compassion. Jesus isn't doing it to self-promote. He's doing it because God sees this man. And he loves him. Just like he sees you. And he loves you. He sees you. He's never not seeing you. And so Jesus moves toward us that way. Like he did that man. He saw him. And he brought healing. But Jesus also understood this is a sign. That I've been sent. This is a work of God. On behalf of this man. These works, Jesus say, they bear witness to me. He's just saying, guys, what are you seeing? Are you seeing something you can't explain by your own human terms? 
that should make you curious, not resistant. What are you seeing? Jesus says, my works, they bear witness to me. Because God has given them to me. I'm not self-promoting from them. I'm glorifying my Father. I think there's something here for us. One, we don't have to bear the weight of carrying the mission of Jesus. Jesus is giving credit to God. He has sent me. As I'm living in His presence, as I'm living in His power and energy, He's doing His work. And we can let that stand as it is. We follow and live in His good kingdom. And we don't have to take responsibility for the outcomes. So our first credible witnesses, they bear witness. They testify to the action of God. John, more importantly, Jesus. John, they're the words of God in John. In Jesus, he's saying they're the works that God's given me to do. They're showing that God is at work. Words, works. Which takes us to the next credible source. And it's, it's going to really start shifting here. So you want to lean in. In verse 37, Jesus says, And the Father who sent me has testified about me. Isn't that interesting? This is, this is a significant escalation, I think, on Jesus' part. The Father who sent me, he's been talking about John and his works. Now he's pointing upward. The Father who sent me, he's testifying about me. Jesus is asserting it's not just his cousin John. It's not only his own actions, but God himself is bearing witness to who Jesus is. And there's a, there's a shift about to take place in Jesus' words right here. Jesus is, start, is getting ready to make these guys very uncomfortable. But he's going to make this deeply personal for them. See, this is what God does. When you're doing business with God, it's always going to come down to a very personal, sometimes even awkward an uncomfortable place for you, for me, for us. Because God wants to strip away all the, all the things that we're using to keep ourselves distant from Him. We can even use religion. We can even use our faith that way. He wants us with Him. He wants us to be in His presence. He doesn't want us to keep our doctrine or our beliefs or anything. He wants us. This is about a relationship. And that's where Jesus is about to go. God himself is bearing witness and listen to him as he brings this into their kitchen, this credible source. He says to them, you have never heard his voice. The implication here is that it's really clear and it's really strong Jesus says a few chapters later when he's talking to them again, he says, you know what? Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. That's chapter 8. If you belong to God, you should be familiar with his voice. It should be residing in you. He, Jesus is saying, this is a credible witness. The voice of God in your life. 
It's presented by Jesus in the witness of Scripture as a normal experience in the life of the person of God. It's not an odd one. Jesus tells them in chapter 8, the reason you're not hearing from God is because you don't belong to God. Are you hearing from God? Are you acquainted with His voice? Jesus says to these guys, you've never heard His voice. And He goes on and says, nor have you seen His appearance. Now that, that's kind of a puzzling one. The word Jesus, or at least the word John uses in recording it, it, is a word that means physical appearance. Jesus says, you've never physically seen God. Now that, that's interesting, because that kind of probably takes all of us in. Right there. But I think, and, and I could be wrong about this, okay? But I think there's irony here. I think, said, and you got, I think Jesus is saying something akin to, and you've never seen God, and he's standing right in front of you. That, that's my best work with it. Like I said, I could be wrong because he doesn't explicitly say that. You're looking at God, but you can't see him. Why? Because you won't believe Him. You've built a religious system to keep Him away from you. Jesus is talking about hearing and seeing God. These are credible witnesses. In the life of the follower of God, in the life of the disciple of Jesus, hearing and seeing God, we see God through Jesus. In the last days, Hebrews says, God spoke to us through the prophets at various times in many ways, but in these last days, He's spoken how? Through His Son. Whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance. Now, there's an appearance word again. I think the word there is icon. He's, he's the image. He's the representation of God. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. He sustains all things by His powerful Word. Jesus is saying, if you're looking at Me, if your life is looking at Me, you're looking at God. God is the credible witness here that Jesus has put on the stand. And He's saying to these men, you're looking at Him. You talk about awkward. Jesus is getting deeply personal. See, this is an act of love. It sounds like kind of an act of correction, and certainly correction is in it. But I believe Jesus is eyeballing them and saying, this is your opportunity. God is in your presence. You don't hear from God because you don't know God. I think there's something really important here for us. Friends, you cannot bear witness to Jesus if you do not know Him. If He's not living in you, 
If He's not an active presence in your everyday life, you cannot, bear, you cannot testify to Him. Please don't try. You'll probably make matters worse. So in John, we have this common human man sent from God. In Jesus, the anointed one, we have his works. But then Jesus gets really deeply personal and says it has to be deeply personal. Hearing and seeing God. This is the authentic community of God. The one in which God's voice is present. That's what the world wants to see. The world doesn't need us to lecture them about God. It doesn't need us to point us all the ways they're wrong and how they're wrong about issues. No, the world's people just like us, like you and me, who are thirsty for God. That's what they long to see. Not facts about Him or condemnation from Him or us about the issues. They want to see Christ. Anything less than that for them, it ain't credible. They need Jesus. Just like you need him. Just like we need him at every moment. In our lives and as a community. The last two credible witnesses that we're going to cover, we won't get to the sixth one. They come as a pair. They're, they're uniquely paired together. And, th and they have a common denominator with, because they're words that testify to Jesus. Jesus goes on and says to these men, you do not have His Word abiding in you. I think that phrase right there, if there's an, what we sometimes call an interpretive key, it's right there. You do not have His Word abiding in you. For you do not believe in the One He sent. I think this is Jesus' sharpest, most pointed critique. It's right here. He's, he's really wanting them to see. These leaders knew a lot about God. Doctrinally. They had a lot of information. They knew the Scriptures better than probably everybody in this room, including me. They knew it. But His Word was not residing in them. He's talking about more than Scripture here. He's talking about more than ink and paper. You can do some work on this yourself if you'd like, because we can't do it here this morning. But just get on your Bible app if you have one and, and uh, go to just New Testament, filter it, and just put the word Word in and see what you come up with. Expect a couple hundred at least. And you'll see some of them clearly are talking about Scripture. And you'll see clearly some of them aren't. There's something more that Jesus is referring to. It doesn't exclude Scripture, but it's something else. You do not have His Word abiding, dwelling in you. Jesus' half-brother James talks about this Word in his letter. He says, receive the implanted word of God in you. Then he says, which can save you. That's what I believe John's talking about here. Something more powerful. 
This is Jesus' fourth credible source that implanted in the life of the believer word of God. And let me, let's just stay there for a minute. Let's pause and slow down just for a second. Because it's a, it's a curious thing, word, implanted word. Like what, what is this? It's really difficult to define, isn't it? The abiding word in us. It's interesting that Jesus uses the word, word. What is it? Here's my best shot at it, and I'll say a few. I think it's the presence of God, but it's communicated to us in this shape, word. And I think that's meaningful. What does a word do? What's the purpose of a word? Well, it communicates, right? It conveys meaning. There's something like solid and stable about word. You know, Jesus doesn't use the term uh, because, uh, because you have emotion of God or you're feeling His presence or, you've, or you have rich experiences or you have this impulse in you, you know, which sometimes is hard to distinguish from caffeine. You know, He's saying you have the, the biting word in you. There's something... Even though we can't define it, we can't really get our arms around it, but there's something tangible. There's something that seems permanent about word that I think is really strategically used. And I think it's also brilliantly used because I think it has something to do with bearing witness. I do. I think there's something about the abiding word in you. You know, when you have a word... It's supposed to convey, right? It's supposed to communicate. It's not there for itself. It's a means. It's a conduit. So does this make sense? God's abiding word in us is a gift for others. That we share our lives. That we share this abiding message. And we bear witness to Jesus. This is so, so rich. Perhaps Jesus is just trying to get at bearing witness. Maybe he's saying to him, if the word was in you, you would also be bearing witness. You would be one of the credible sources. This residence of God in the heart of the believer, bearing witness, this abiding word, testify. Testify. He says to these men about this abiding word, you ain't got it. It's not in you. This thing that becomes implanted in the life of the believer. He says, you guys examine the scriptures. You study it. You've given your lives to it. Because you think in them there's life. And what does he say? The scriptures point to me. They testify about me. They're one of the credible witnesses. They're that sort of objective, stayed, truthful, we can count on it, presence. And they point to me. They don't have power, they don't have life in themselves. They're pointing to life. 
He says, you refuse to come to me to have life. That's our fifth credible source, the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, history, prophecy, narrative, poetry, gospels, letters, apocalyptic literature. It's pointing to Jesus. Every word, every apostrophe is pointing to Jesus. These men had those scriptures. They'd studied it. They'd parsed it. They knew it. But it was no good to them. Because they refused to believe what they were pointing to. How about you? I'm not asking you how much you know your Bible. That's a good thing. Know your Bible. I'm asking you, do you know the one to whom the Bible is pointing? This is a relationship we're talking about here. This is that deeply personal place Jesus is addressing. Everything points to Jesus. There's one more that we're not going to get to. It's Moses. You can read those last several verses. Jesus wants us to see that God's behind everyone. He sent John the Baptist. He's enabling Jesus to do his work. It's his living and active word residing in the heart of the believer, each follower of Jesus, and in the community of followers. It's God who inspired the scriptures. And it's he who called Moses. God is behind it all. Everything he's been doing has been pointing to Christ. So let's ask the big question. Is your life pointing to Christ? Is it pointing in that direction? You know, you, we, we can't program this. We, we can give you methods and ways to help nurture your relationship with God, and that's a good thing we should. But this best and beautiful presence, like that fine piece of glass in a story, that presence of God must be real in your life. It must be dwelling in order for your life to point to Jesus. Because it's that abiding word that's pointing. Same is true for us as a community. What will point to Jesus is not how well we're structured or how well we can define things, be organized is the Word of Christ abiding, dwelling in us. If it is, even in our stumbling and bumbling, it'll point to Jesus. God knows what to do with our stumbling and bumbling when His Word is dwelling in us. He's been doing that for a long time, dealing with broken people, making much of Jesus through their lives. That gives me hope. I hope it does you. I hope it gives your stumbling and bumbling life hope. The world could use a bit of that right now. Your friends need a bit of that right now. You need a bit of that right now. Christ living in us. 
the residing presence of Jesus. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? What are you coming to know about Jesus? That is your testimony. It's true for each of us and as a community. A couple final reflections, and this will be yours. Just that phrase, pointing to Jesus, it, it just conveys something beautiful to me. It reminds me that my life doesn't have to be all together. It reminds me I don't have to have it all figured out. It reminds me that even if I'm anxious about the future, or sad about the past, or in the middle of fog and friction that I can't make sense of, the dwelling work of God remains. His Word that's abiding is there. And if I'll just open myself up before Him and say, God, do what You will. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no want. Even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to fear. Man, that's so, so beautiful to me. How is our life pointing to Jesus as a community? We're at, so we're at this Crowder concert last night, and there's like 5,000 people there that stayed after the game. I think there were 5,002 at the game, and then 5,000 stayed. And, um, but, you know, I'm old, and so, like, there's, <laughs> yeah, Christy's laughing with me back there. We were sitting together, and, and like, 4,500 of them were, they, they were in it. I mean, they were jumping up and down and happy about the painfully loud music for us old people that was happening. <clears throat> and, you know, but it was just a picture of people celebrating the good times. And it, it was really rich. You know, even though it was painful audibly for us old timers, it was rich for me just to, I just kind of stood up and just took it in. You know, it, it, as, as community, when things are like that, they feel rich, they feel like energy, they feel like synergy, they feel like unity, uh, we point to Jesus. But you know what I've come to believe? I think it's in the tough times when things don't have that energy synergy is when we can most effectively experience God and bear witness to Him. I believe that. I've come to believe that. It's when we're not feeling it sometimes. But we say, I have nowhere else to go but Jesus. Here I am. That's when we're bearing witness. Because the world, it, it has its substitutes for our energy. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, they do it better than we do much of the time. But when their world's not going well, what do they have? That's when we bear witness to the truth. That's when the abiding word shines. Final reflection. You might walk through, maybe this is homework if, if you want it. You might walk through those sources that Jesus identifies here. John the Baptist and his works and, 
and uh, God Himself in who is seen and heard, um, and these words, this abiding word in Scripture. And maybe you could ask, like God, would you would you speak to me through one of those sources? Like you you might land on one of them. You, you might do get in the Word and look at John the Baptist and say, what is it about his life that might be reflected in mine? I, I can tell you mine. I love John the Baptist for John 3.27 when John says a man can only receive what's given to him. That's a life verse for me. I don't have to go out and grab life. I can receive it and find contentment and joy in the hand of God for my life. John pointed me to Jesus. So you might pick one of those and do some work on your own. Is your life pointing to Jesus? How? If not, why? Is it because you don't know Him? Is it because you know things about Him? But you don't know what it's like to hear His voice, the experience God's whisper in your ear. I want to say to you, don't make that a question of your life. Do I know Him or not? You can know that you know Him. I'm not saying it's not involving faith. I'm saying you can know. You can come to know it through childlike, simple confidence in Jesus. His Holy Spirit enters your life and it bears witness to you that you belong to Him. Gosh, I hope you don't leave without that. This is the place where God wants to get really deeply personal with each of us. Because you're an eternal being. You're going to outlive yourself here. And one day you're going to have to reckon with that reality. So if I'm speaking to you, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you at that place, please grab me after this or grab the person you're with and say, I need to pray, I need to talk about this because I'm not sure that I know. It's okay to not be sure that you know. Doubt is a meaningful part of faith, but you need to come to know. Maybe it's because your faith is weak. You know him. Is your faith just weak? That's okay. God knows what to do with weak faith. He says, come on in. Let's see what we can do to help with that. We are all there sometimes, me included. <clears throat> sometimes I have those moments. God, I don't know. He never condemns me from that place. He welcomes me in a conversation and relationship with him anew. He's a good God. He's got you if you'll trust him. Let me pray, and then you guys will come up and lead us out and worship. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to bring Jesus' abiding word into our lives. A new, a fresh, reset, reorient, or introduce for the first time.
Father God. We're asking you to be just that to us, Father. Not everybody in this room grew up with a healthy father. Some maybe not even a father at all. We're inviting you to be father right now. Because we need fathers. We need you as our holy father. We're asking you to receive us as we are. Children who've misbehaved, who've lost their way at times, who don't get it right. Indwelling Jesus, we're saying thank you to you for what you've done on the cross, for you becoming our sacrifice for doing what we couldn't amend from our condition, for bringing us into relationship, for reconciling us through this simple confession and faith, repentance towards you, orienting our lives anew. Spirit, Father, Son, do your work in us as only you can, God. As we Close this. We pray that what you're doing will end. At the end of a service, we pray that your work would continue anew in us. We pray in your good name, in your abiding word. Amen.